According to experts, um, there are some things as human beings we just can't live without. Um, you have physical needs, I have certain physical needs that without those physical needs, there can't be life. And, and I'm talking about things like water, food, clothing, sleep, and shelter. Uh, these are the bare necessities that you need for survival, that I need for survival. Uh, we have to have these things in order to live. And, and we can't live very long, we can't exist very long in the absence of any one of those things. Uh, without these things, we quite simply will die. And it's the way God designed us. God designed us to need water, food, clothing, sleep, and shelter in order to exist, in order to live, in order to survive. And it's our need for these things because we realize that we need these things. It's our need for these things which establishes the value of these things. Now, oftentimes we don't wake up every day thinking about the value of water, food, clothing, sleep, and shelter, but you go without any of those for any time at all, you start remembering just how valuable these things are. You go without water for a period of time, you begin to remember how valuable water is. The same with food, clothing, sleep, and shelter. We value these things, whether we think about it this way or not, we value these things because we need these things. It's our need for these things which establishes the value of these things. And not only do we have certain physical requirements uh, for life and for survival, we often, you know, have certain psychological needs as well. And, and those can include, you know, freedom, safety and security, acceptance and belonging, love and intimacy, that, that we need these things in order to be fully alive. We need these things in order to live life to the full. Uh, we need some sense of freedom, some, some sense of autonomy. Uh, we need to believe that we're making our own decisions. We live best when we feel like we're making our own decisions, when we are responsible for something, when we carry responsibility, and, and it's in responsibility that we find meaning, we find importance, we find value. So every single one of us, we, we need some element of freedom in order to feel alive. Uh, we need safety and security, and, and that's really about order uh, and predictability and some measure of control. Um, there's a bit of a romanticized uh, idea of uh, spontaneity, you know, uh, why can't we just be more spontaneous? I, I wish I were more spontaneous. I wish my life had more spontaneity in it. And, and we romanticize spontaneity, but really and truthfully, we are wired for predictability. We are wired uh, for some measure of control. We, we prefer order over chaos. And when we have safety and security in our lives, it, it helps us live life to a greater degree. Uh, we need acceptance and belonging. Uh, we all need to be accepted by someone and we all need to feel as though we belong, whether to a family or a pack or a tribe or a community, uh, a place where we're received, a place where we're validated, a place where we're valued and a place where we are accepted. Uh, you need that, I need that in order to feel fully alive. And we have this innate desire to have love and intimacy. That is, I desire and need to know someone and to love someone. And I also desire and I also have a need for someone to know me and love me. Now, we live in a culture that says, I want you to know me um, only so much so that I can be sure that you will love me because the fear is if you really know me, you might not love me. So we live in a culture where we're just content with if you say you love me, even if you don't really know me. But, but here's the thing, you can't love somebody if you don't know them. Um, you end up loving a version of them that doesn't exist. You end up loving a sliver of them. It's an incomplete love because you can't really love someone until you know someone. And every single one of us have been hardwired by God to be known and to be loved, but it's risky. And that's the reason a lot of us, we never take that risk because we wanna be loved, but we're afraid that if somebody actually knows us, the good, the bad, the ugly, the crazy, the jacked up, the screwed up, we're afraid that if they actually know us, they may not love us. So we keep people at an arm's distance. Uh, we keep people from getting too close because we're afraid if they get too close, if they see too much, if they know too much, they won't love us. And when we live that way, we're not living life to the full. We desire to know people, I mean to know people. And as we know them, we love them. And we decide to love them in spite of who they are, in spite of their shortcomings, in spite of their failures, in spite of their lack. 
We love them because there's special things about them. There's great things about them, but we love them even in spite of the not so special things about them. But that's, that's a need. That's what's been hardwired into you. It's what's been hard, hardwired into me. And outside of these things, if these things are missing in my life, if they're missing in these things, missing in your life, you're gonna feel like you're not living life to the full. But when these things are present, it actually frees us up, and this is why it's important. When these things are present in our life, it frees us up ultimately to become all that God has created us to be. Because if any of those things are missing, we actually feel as though we're being held back. And it actually weighs us down and it anchors us down. Uh, without these things present, we will rarely reach our God-given potential. And what ends up happening is we'll settle for a smaller, lesser version of ourselves and a smaller, lesser version of life itself when these things are absent. If I feel controlled by other people, if I feel like I lack freedom, it holds me back. If I feel like I lack security and safety and order, it holds me back. If I feel like I lack acceptance and belonging or love and intimacy, it holds me back. And it holds me back to a place where I cannot live life to the full. And that's a tragedy, especially for Jesus followers, because Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the what? To the full. So Jesus said, I have come into this world that you may not only have life, not only eternal life after death, but I've come that you may have a full life before death. In this life, I want you to live life to the full. And if you're gonna live life to the full, and if I'm gonna live life to the full, then I've gotta make sure that I'm placing value on the things that God has wired me to need. My need for these things establishes the value of these things. I can't minimize their importance. I can't neglect a pursuit of these things because if I do, I undermine the very quality and the direction of my life and you undermine the quality and the direction of your life. And then what happens is we end up like a lot of people. In the absence of these things being present in our life, we will try to fill our lives and plug the void, fill the emptiness with some type of busyness or pleasure or work or play or some distraction or some cheap or expensive substitute that we're trying to put in this void into this emptiness. And we don't even know what the void is connected to. We don't even know why the emptiness is there. And it's there because something is missing that we need. And because we've not valued it, it's absent. And because it's absent, we walk around feeling as though something's missing, even though we don't know what's missing. And we end up trying to plug into the void things that can never actually fill the void. Now, that said, I want to talk about an area of life today that helps us facilitate and meet the very needs that God has hardwired into each and every one of us. It's something that can bring more life into your life. It's something that can bring more life into my life. It's something that helps bring freedom, safety, security, acceptance, and belonging, love, and intimacy into my life and yours. And it's something that sounds so elementary. It sounds beneath some of us adults to even talk about, but it's really important. You may not think it's spiritual, but it's incredibly spiritual and it has a lot of value as it relates to the quality and the direction of your life and your faith. And it's this right here, friendship, friendship. And this brings us back to the life of David that we've been talking about for the past few weeks. Last week, if you weren't here, uh, David is on the run from King Saul. King Saul is the king of Israel. And David, who has just killed Goliath and now the champion of the people and everybody's singing songs about David killing 10,000s and Saul only killing thousands. Uh, Saul is now jealous. He's paranoid. He can't stand David. He wants David dead because David is a threat to Saul's throne. And so he begins to hunt David. And David goes on the run and David becomes a fugitive who is literally running for his life. And as we talked about last week, David, even though he's been anointed by Samuel the prophet to be the next king of Israel, he's going to be on the run for the next eight years from the king of Israel, Saul, because Saul wants him dead. And so David's gonna be on the run, fearing for his life, running from you know Saul, looking over his shoulder, looking around every corner, afraid of what's about to happen, and he's gonna do so for the next eight years. Now, we should all just think about that, and we should all try to imagine what it would be like running for our lives for eight years, never knowing what tomorrow may bring, never knowing what's around the corner, never knowing what's behind us, Imagine the stress that David had over those eight years. Imagine the anxiety, the exhaustion, 
during that season of David's life. His emotional bandwidth during those eight years are stretched thin. His mind is weary. Physically, he's depleted. His faith is in crisis. And almost in every conceivable way, David, he's at the breaking point. I mean, he's hit bottom. He's hit the bottom. And if he's not at the bottom, he can see the bottom from there. He's afraid, he's disappointed, he's disillusioned, he's frustrated, he's angry, he's confused. And he's gonna feel that way consistently for the next eight years. Now, we don't like when we're stuck in a rut for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, but David's gonna be stuck in this existence for the next eight years. And it's gonna feel like a relentless attack, mentally, physically, spiritually. But in the midst of those eight years, there's gonna be something that keeps David from breaking. There's gonna be something that keeps David anchored, that's gonna keep David from drifting in directions that he does not need to drift into. It's gonna be a stabilizing force, a, a hidden strength, a support system, a safety net that's gonna help David preserve his sanity, that's gonna help him maintain his faith, that's gonna help him stay the course. And the thing that's gonna help David do that is friendship. And it's just not just general friendship, Specifically, it's friendship with one particular person, a guy by the name of Jonathan. Now, if you're not sure who Jonathan is, Jonathan was King Saul's son. And that means that he was the prince of Israel, which means that he was next in line to the throne of Israel. He was the heir apparent. He was the next king of Israel. That's what everybody thought. And in a traditional system, in conventional wisdom, Saul was the first king and he would pass on that kingdom to his son, Jonathan. Now, most people in Jonathan's position would do everything that they could do in order to sure up their position, in order to maintain their advantage, to protect their interests, to solidify their happiness, and to fortify their future. If you would have been Jonathan, if I would have been Jonathan, I would have been tempted, you would have been tempted to do everything that I could do in order to ensure that one day I would sit on the throne that my father was currently occupying because that would be in my best interest. That would be in your best interest. That would be our way to fortify the future, not only for ourselves, but for our children and our grandchildren and their children and their grandchildren, but not Jonathan. To Jonathan, there was something more important than being king. To Jonathan, there was something more important than being prince of Israel. To Jonathan, there was something more important than being the son of King Saul. You say, well, what in the world would be more important than becoming king? What, what's more important than being royal to yourself? What's more important than being the prince of Israel? For Jonathan, it was friendship. And it was his friendship with David. Now, when David and Jonathan met, there was an immediate bond. I mean, an immediate bond. These two guys, they were connected immediately. Now, for all the men in the room, most of us men, we have grown up in cultures in our family, you know, maybe among our brothers, maybe among our friends, where, where we don't talk a lot like what we're about to see. We don't use the language of this as it relates to friendship, and it's just unfortunate. And really it's tragic. And it's really why a lot of adult men in this country in particular, we can be a bit of an emotional shell. We can be a bit emotionally empty or a bit emotionally impotent. We can be at a place where, where we, we sense that there's a void in our life, but we don't even know where the void's coming from. And this is true of a lot of men, and I know it's also true of a lot of women. But these two guys, when they met, as friends, they were bonded together immediately. This is, this is how the scripture puts it. That Jonathan became one in spirit with David. That they became one in spirit. And it says that Jonathan loved David as himself. Now, as soon as these two guys met, there, there was like a kindred spirit. Uh, obviously, there was probably some things that they shared in common. They were both warriors, soldiers. They both loved their country. They shared the same faith, you know, perhaps had a list of other things that they shared in common. And when Jonathan looked at David, he saw maybe uh, a distant reflection of himself, or maybe David looked at Jonathan and saw a distant reflection of himself. Or maybe, just maybe, when they looked at each other, they really didn't resemble, you know, one another at all. But there was something about each other that drew them to each other. And it says that they, they had a one soul. It was like their souls were just connected together. Matter of fact, I, I like how the English Standard Version puts it just a little bit better. This is how the English Standard Version says it. The soul of Jonathan was knit 
to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And it literally means in the Hebrew that they were chained together. This is not a superficial connection that a lot of us, that we realize with a lot of the people in our lives that that we don't ever, you know, honestly assess. A lot of us will go through life with just superficial connections with other people. That's not this. This is not a superficial connection. This is not just being an acquaintance of each other. This is just not about hanging out on occasion or talking to each other on occasion. This is not a casual friendship based on convenience. This is an authentic, legitimate friendship that is bone deep and it extends all the way down to the soul. It says their souls were attached to one another. And it goes on to describe this. It says, and Jonathan made a covenant, a promise, an oath with David because he loved him as himself. And it says that Jonathan took off his robe that he was wearing and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. So they made a pact, they made a promise to each other and they made a covenant to be friends to death, that nothing would ever interfere with their friendship, that nothing would ever supersede or contravene their friendship, that they would never allow anything or anyone to interrupt the friendship that they were choosing to have with one another. And that's the essence of friendship. You just don't happen upon a friendship that way. You just don't stumble into a friendship like that. You choose to have a friendship like that. And David chose to have this type of friendship with Jonathan and Jonathan chose to have this type of friendship with David. They said, we're gonna be friends unto death. That's how, that's how committed we are to this. We're making a pact with one another. We're not gonna be fair weather friends. We're gonna be friends when it's easy. We're gonna be friends when it's difficult. We're gonna be friends when we disappoint each other. We're gonna be friends when we fail each other. We're gonna be friends when it's easy. We're gonna be friends when it's difficult. We are going to be friends no matter what. And that's the friendship that Jonathan chose. That's the friendship that David chose. We are friends no matter what. And it doesn't matter what happens. And it doesn't matter what gets said. It doesn't matter what transpires. We're gonna be friends to the very end. And so Jonathan takes off his royal robe. And this is, this is really just a neat picture. Uh, this is his, his, his princely robe. I mean, there's only one robe like this in Israel and it belongs to Jonathan. He takes off his robe and he gives it to David. He takes off his tunic, he gives it to David takes off his sword, his bow and his belt, and he gives it to David. And this was more than just Jonathan giving David a gift. This was a gesture. This was was a commitment to David. David, I'm gonna be your friend until I die. And I'm gonna do everything that I can to make sure that you succeed in your life. David, I'm gonna do everything that I can to make sure that you become the man that God wants you to be. David, I'm gonna do everything that I can do to make your life as full of life as I possibly can. Now, Jonathan had a choice, just like any of us would have had a choice. He could have been petty like his father saw. He could have been shallow and insecure like his father saw. He could have chose to have been jealous and spiteful towards David, he could have plotted against David, he could have seen David as a threat, he could have seen David you know, as an enemy, but he chose to be David's friend. He chose to be David's friend even though being David's friend would cost him. He chose to be David's friend even though it wouldn't be easy to be David's friend. And he's gonna be a loyal friend to David all the way to the very end, even when it created conflict in Jonathan's own family. Now, to back up just a little bit from from where we talked about last week so that we can understand a little bit of the backstory of what we talked about last week, before David went on the run and right on the heels of David killing Goliath and David becoming a champion of the people and right at the very beginning when Saul gets jealous of David and decides that he wants to put an end to David, this is where we pick up this part of the story. It says, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned David, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on guard tomorrow morning, go into hiding and stay there. I will go out, I'll stand with my father in the field where you are, I'll speak to him about you, and I'm gonna tell you what I find out. And it says that Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. Now, just time out for a moment. This is what a lot of people are not even willing to do. This is just ground level friendship right here. This is Jonathan being a friend to David when David's not around. 
This is Jonathan deciding, I'm gonna speak up and speak well of David to someone who has decided to come against David, even though that someone was his own father, Saul. And this is the beginning of what it means to be somebody's friend. That even when you're in the presence of someone who doesn't like your friend, who's attacking your friend, but because you've chosen to be a friend, even when your friend's not there to see it, and even when your friend's not there to hear it, you are gonna speak well of your friend. You're gonna defend your friend. You're gonna step into the gap and you're gonna be a person who tries to protect your friend. And that's Jonathan. That's the kind of guy that he is. It says that he spoke well of David and he said, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. So now he's trying, he's working on behalf of David. He's doing everything that he can to be a friend. He says, dad, he's not wronged you. And what he's done has actually benefited you greatly. So dad, I don't know why you got this beef against David. Actually, he's a friend, he's not an enemy. And so Jonathan didn't get caught up in the political alliance. He didn't get caught up in the family alliance of things. He didn't get caught up in the difficulty of what it was gonna mean to be David's friend. He didn't get caught up in the complexity of what it was gonna mean to be David's friend. Jonathan had decided to be a friend and that meant being a friend when David was there and when David wasn't there. And it meant being a friend no matter what in every situation. And so Jonathan in this particular moment, he convinces Saul to stand down. And, and this only lasts for a moment. Uh, Saul, you know, just a few days later, Saul's back at it. He's battling this mental illness. He's battling this evil spirit that has come upon him that we talked about last week. And once again, he decides that David needs to die. And so that's when David flees home. He goes to visit the priest Ahimelech, what we talked about last week. And then he goes to Gath and we talked about that. And then he ends up in the cave of Adullam. And, and that's where we left it off last week. David's in a cave, he's all along, he's in the wilderness and, and we we don't know how long he's gonna be there, but he's there and he's wrestling with his loneliness and his anxiety and his fear and his anger. He feels cut off from God, forgotten by God. His faith is in crisis. He's physically depleted. His mental status is not altogether that healthy. And so he's there. And we don't know how long he's there alone, but he's there for a season just by himself. And then something really interesting happens. Matter of fact, it's, it's amazing and beyond amazing, it's a bit humorous. Um, while David's in the cave of Adullam, it says this, it says, all those who were in distress, in debt or discontented gathered around David while he's in the cave and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Now, this is when David's at the very bottom. But again, I'll remind you what I reminded us of last week, that God's gonna teach David how to be a king in a cave. He's not gonna teach David how to be a king at the palace. He's gonna teach David how to be a king in a cave. He's gonna teach David how to be a leader of people in a cave. And so while he's there at the very bottom, these 400 men show up and these are gonna become those famous 400 men of renown. David's gonna become their captain. He's gonna become you know, their general. He's ultimately gonna be their king years later, but he's gonna learn how to be a leader in the cave. But even though these guys are now with David and they're there, they're his companions, and maybe in some casual way, in some more of a shallow way, they become friends of David, but not really. Even though David had some people around him and he had some people with him and he had some people to hang out with, it didn't replace the need for genuine friendship in David's life. And I will remind all of us, just because you got some people in your life, just because you got some people that you can hang out with, that you can go to dinner with, you can take a trip with, just because you got some folks that you text occasionally, call occasionally, just because you got some people that hang out in your space, it does not require, it does not replace the need for authentic, legitimate friendship in your life or mine. So Saul continues to hunt David. And, and Jonathan continues to do whatever he can to help David. If he needs to interfere, if he needs to speak up, if he needs to defend David, if he needs to tell David, gives him a heads up, hey, my dad's on his way, you need to move. So this continues. And, and like I said, it continues for eight years. But in, in the story, uh, David ends up leaving the cave and he goes further into the wilderness. And it says that day after day, Saul searched for David. And God did not give David into his hands. So it's kind of like guerrilla warfare. David's out there, he's with his men, he's kind of going from place to place. Saul's hot on their trail. And it says that while David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, 
he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. So again, it just keeps coming. It's relentless. And this is just so frustrating and so confusing and so discouraging to David. And, and again, he's, he's right there at the breaking point. And as he's on the run from Saul, it says, and Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David. Now this was risky for Jonathan to do. This was not convenient for Jonathan to do. But he went to David at Horish and he helped him. He helped him find strength in God because that's what a friend does. But, but I, I really prefer the way the New Living Translation puts this because it's a bit more clear and it's a bit more to the point. It says that Jonathan went to find David and he encouraged him because that's a friend. He encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Why? Because Jonathan knew David was tempted to abandon his faith. He was tempted to lose hope. He was, a, he was tempted with just forgetting and walking away from the whole thing. But Jonathan, he knew that in order to be a friend, he needed to go find David, even when David was in a mess, even though David was in this, this thing with his father Saul, he went to David and he encouraged him not to lose his faith and trust in God. When David was exhausted and David was depressed and David was discouraged and David's life was a mess, Jonathan sought David out in order to be a friend because that's what a friend does. A friend doesn't have to be invited in. A friend doesn't wait for the phone call, doesn't wait for the text. A friend picks up the phone. A friend gets in the car and drives over. The friend just shows up because a friend knows when their friend needs a friend. And Jonathan knows that David needs a friend in this moment. And Jonathan does one of the most important things, one of the most valuable things that any of us can ever do. And that's to speak to someone's purpose. And that is to speak to someone's giftedness that's deep inside of them. To speak to the calling that God has placed on their life. To speak to that which is special and that which is great in someone's heart and someone's soul. And that's what Jonathan does. I imagine that Jonathan goes to David and Jonathan, he finds David discouraged and depressed. He wants to quit. He wants to walk away. This is just too difficult. This is not what he signed up for. And Jonathan shows up and says, hey man, I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to walk away. I don't want you to lose hope. God's called you to this. God has prepared you for this. God's gonna make good of his promise. He's gonna make you king. God's got a purpose for your life and you can't walk away from it. God's placed a gift in your life and you can't abandon it. And so Jonathan's encouraging David not to lose faith, to stay the course because that's what friends do. One of the most valuable things that you'll ever be able to do is that when you choose to be a friend to someone and you speak to that which is great inside of them that they're thinking about walking away from, when you speak to the calling that God has placed on their life and you encourage them in that calling when they're thinking about walking away from it, one of the most valuable things that you can do is to find out what's great about someone and speak to it, validate it, affirm it, encourage it, and push that person in the direction of God's plan and God's purpose for their life. It's one of the most valuable things that you can do for somebody else. It is one of the most valuable things that anybody will ever do for you. I can remember, it's almost like it's, it's forged in my memory. I can remember the handful of times in my life where somebody has looked at me and spoke to the purpose that God had placed in my life, that God, you know, to the calling that perhaps God had placed on me for the future that they believed that God had destined for me. I can remember the handful of times that someone has pulled me aside and they've encouraged me to stay the course, not to quit, not to give up, not to walk away. And I guarantee you, if it's happened in your life, you can remember the handful of times that it's happened to you as well. But here's the tragedy. Some of us, we've never had that. And some of us, we've never done that because some of us, we've never chosen to be a friend the way that Jonathan was a friend to David. He goes on and he tells David, he said, David, don't be afraid. I know you're afraid. I can see it on your face. My father Saul, this is amazing. I, I don't miss this. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You, you David will be king over Israel. Now that's pretty amazing coming from the prince of Israel. That, that's pretty spectacular coming from the heir apparent to the throne of Israel. But what comes next? It's breathtaking. What comes next is almost unimaginable. 
and I will be second to you. David, I recognize what God's called you to. David, I recognize the divine purpose in your life. David, I recognize the future that God has called you to. I recognize that even though I'm supposed to be king by birth, you're supposed to be king by divine choice. And you will be king. And I will be content and happy to be second to you. And this is the epitome of what the New Testament teaches about, that we are to prefer other people over ourselves. This is preferring someone else over yourself. This is that on steroids. This is that exaggerated because this is about a kingdom in question. This is about a throne in question. David, I want you to be king because I prefer you over myself. I will be second to you because I wanna do whatever I can do to see you succeed. I wanna do whatever I can do to see you move further and closer into God's purpose and God's calling for and in your life. And I'm gonna seek what is best for you. I'm gonna do what's best for you, David, even if it costs me. That's a friend. That's self-sacrificing love. That's the type of love that the scriptures calls us to imitate when it says imitate the love of God. This is the type of love that Jesus was talking about when he said, I want you to love one another as I have loved you because no one ever preferred other people over himself the way that Jesus preferred others over himself, even willing to lay down his life for others. And this is what Jonathan does in the face of David. He says, I will be second to you. Even my father knows this is true. And this is incredible. This is what it looks like to be a friend. Being a friend is saying, I want what's best for you. And I want what's good for you. Even if it costs me. Even if it's not what's best for me. If it's best for you, it's what's best. I'm gonna do what's good for you even if it's not good for me because it's what is good and it's what is right. And this was Jonathan and this was David and this was their friendship. It said the two of them, says it again, the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And then David went home, but David remained at Horish. Jonathan went home and David remained at Horish. And this would be the last time that David and Jonathan would ever see each other. Later on, Saul and Jonathan are gonna be killed in battle. And shortly after that battle, David will ultimately be crowned king of Israel, but that's gonna be a few years away. But this is the last time that David sees his friend Jonathan, and this is the last time that Jonathan will see his friend David. Jonathan will die in battle, and ultimately David will become king. And Jonathan will be a friend to David until Jonathan breathes his very last breath. He will continue to run interference for David. He will continue to defend David to his father Saul. He will continue to protect, protect David in any way that he can. And he's gonna be a friend to David until his last breath because that's what a friend does. A friend, as the Proverbs would say, loves at all times. Not for some of the time, not half of the time, but for the whole time. When a friend decides to be a friend, a friend decides to be a friend until the very end. And that's what Jonathan decided to be when it came to his friendship with David. And David is gonna remain a friend to Jonathan even after Jonathan breathes his last breath. And it's gonna be one of the most beautiful parts of David's story. And we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But this is the last time that these two friends will ever see each other. You say, well, what does all of this mean? Because I was gonna go on and talk about David in, in, the, in the cave and how he spared Saul's life. And it's, it's a pretty sexy story and it's a gritty story and it's a meaty story. and It's got a lot of drama to it, a lot of anticipation. And I really just wanted to go ahead and talk about that. But I knew I needed to talk about this because if God gave so much space to the story of David in the scriptures and he gave us so much information and insight to this friendship that David had with Jonathan and Jonathan had with David. This is something that God wants us to pay attention to. This is something that's valuable for you. This is something that's valuable for me because God, just like he wired Jonathan and David, 
to need friendship in order to become who God wanted them to be. God has wired you that way and God has wired me this way. And when we realize our need for friendship, we begin to place value on friendship based on the need that God has wired into our existence. This need for friendship in order to reach our potential, this need for friendship in order to step into what God has called us to. So these two are gonna be friends, not only unto death, but really beyond death. And I think that the thing that we need to learn from this is that David would have never become King David without Jonathan. We wouldn't be talking about King David. David went on to become king and become the most beloved king in all of Israel's history. All the stories that come as a result of David being king, we most likely wouldn't have any of those stories if it hadn't been for Jonathan. David would have never become King David without Jonathan. It was Jonathan and the friendship that Jonathan had with David and David had with Jonathan. It was that friendship that ultimately kept pushing David closer and closer to becoming king. And it was that friendship that allowed David not to walk away. It was that friendship that kept David from quitting. It was that friendship that kept David from doing something silly, something that he would have regretted, something that would have cost him his throne. It was this friendship that ultimately helped David become King David. And so what does that mean for us? If that's what it meant for David, what does that mean for us? It means that the quality of our future depends on the quality of our friends. Forever and ever and ever, the story of King David is gonna be connected to his friendship with Jonathan. And forever and forever, every time that the story of King David is told, every time the story of King David is read, every time the story of King David is celebrated, it is directly and indirectly always going to be connected to his friendship with Jonathan. And we wouldn't be talking about King David today if it wasn't for once upon a time, a guy by the name of Jonathan decided that he was gonna be a friend to a guy by the name of David. And that's how important friends are because the quality of our future, my future, your future, depends on the quality of our friends. Now, we may not think about this, but when we hear it, we know it's true. Our friends predict our future. This is why parents are always concerned with who their children have as friends, because we know that friends predict our future. And this is not only true for our sons and daughters, this is true for mothers and fathers. This is true for grandfathers and grandmothers and aunts and uncles. This is true for adults, just as it is true for children. Our friends predict our future. Matter of fact, research says that we are the sum total of our closest three to five friends. You take your closest three to five friends, you add up all the salaries, divide it by three, divide it by five, divide it by whatever it is, you're gonna fall close to that average. Education, life experience, value, worldview, you're gonna become a reflection of your friends and your friends are gonna become a reflection of you. That's just how we're wired. That's how it is. That's nature. In other words, we either rise or sink to the level of our closest friendships. Good friends make us better. Bad friendships, not so much. Good friendships, they inspire greater faith. They help us live life to the full. They help us from quitting when we wanna quit. They keep us from walking off the reservation. They keep us from doing stupid things that one day we might regret. Friends, they encourage us. They show up in the middle of our mess. They show up in the middle of when all hell's breaking loose. They comfort us, they inspire us, they motivate us, they speak to our purpose, they speak to our calling, and they push us in the direction of what is good and best for us. That's why the proverb says that iron sharpens iron. That's how friends work among friends. We make each other sharper, we make each other better, we make each other smarter, we take each other deeper, we make each other stronger. We all were created to have friends and to be a friend. You were created to have friends and you were created to be a friend. And you can't minimize this, you can't neglect this, you can't ignore this. You can't and I can't afford to go through life without meaningful friendships. But the tragedy is, many of us are and many of us have been. We're going through life with a famine of friendship. 
And that's where we are in the West. That's where we are in our country right now. And all the research that comes out, major study after major study after major study says that people are admitting to having little to no friendship in their life. And the amount of friends that people said they had 50 years ago is drastically different than the amount of friends that people claim to have today. All around us, there's a famine of friendship and that may be true in your life as well. A lot of people are struggling with loneliness. Matter of fact, our own Surgeon General says that the greatest epidemic perhaps that is in our country is an epidemic of loneliness. There's a lot of people, a lot of adults, a lot of adult men, a lot of adult women, a lot of single men, a lot of single women, a lot of middle school and high school students and college students that go through life and they feel empty. There's a void, there's something missing. And we don't always know what it is. And we always can't discover what it is. But I'm fearful, I'm suspicious that many times what's missing, that void, is a lack of friendship. Meaningful friendship. When it comes to friendship, our culture has conspired against us. It's conspired against us. And I know, I told you, you may not think this is spiritual, but this is incredibly spiritual. And, and I knew that nobody was gonna get up and run around and shout hallelujah this morning. I, I knew that, that's okay. But this is important. In our culture, we mistake acquaintances and people that we hang out with, whether consistently or on occasion, we confuse that with authentic friendship. We confuse that with meaningful friendship. Just because we hang out with them on occasion, you know, we swap some texts. Just because you're swapping texts with somebody doesn't mean you're actually sharing your life with somebody. We mistake hearts and smiley face emojis and likes for validation and affirmation and for love. We live in a culture that conspires against us when it comes to meaningful, authentic, legitimate friendship. You've got people that you hang out with. You got people that you do such and such with. You got people that you talk to on occasion. You got people that you'll talk sports with. You got people that you'll go on trips with. You got people you go shop with. You got people, all the people, you got people in your life. But it doesn't mean that you have authentic friendship in your life. It doesn't mean that you have the type of friendship that David had with Jonathan that Jonathan had with David. It doesn't mean you're actually sharing your life with somebody. It doesn't actually mean that you're known and loved by somebody. It doesn't mean that you know and love somebody. Culture conditions us to wanna to be esteemed and envied rather than known and loved. But we live in a culture that says, hey, it's enough just to be esteemed and to be liked. So put your best pictures on social media. Put your highlight reels on social media. Hey, brag on the marriage that you don't have. Celebrate the behavior of your kids, that's only half true. <laughs> only take pictures of your living room after it has been cleaned. Just give everybody a snapshot of you that's not really you. And when they love it, you feel loved. But down deep in your heart of hearts and your soul of all souls, you know they don't know you. They love a version of you. They love a sliver of you. But our culture says that's okay. Because if they know you, if they know your house doesn't look that way, if they know your marriage really isn't that way, if they know some of the things that your kids are struggling with and that you don't know how in the world to help your kids struggle through those things, if they really knew how you were doing financially, if they really knew how upside down in debt you were, if they really knew all the ins and outs, they just might not envy you as much. They may not esteem you as much. So let's not let people know us because it's really more important for them to like us and respect us and wanna be us rather than to actually know us and love us. That's what our culture has conditioned us for. Being known and loved, that's friendship, that's messy. Listen, if you're gonna show up when my world's falling apart, the only way you're gonna show up when my world's falling apart is if you know my world's falling apart. The only way you're gonna show up and encourage me when all hell breaks loose is if you know that all hell's breaking loose. You're only gonna show up to encourage me in my depression if you know that I'm actually depressed. Nobody can be a friend to you if you don't let them know the real you. Being known and being loved. 
That means somewhere, somehow, you gotta make a commitment (laughs) that when you get to know someone, you're gonna love them because you realize, hey, before you go into that, they're not perfect. They're They're not even close to perfect. Everybody around you this morning, everybody that you know, everybody is jacked up and screwed up in some way, including you, including me. Why do people choose to be friends and then when their friend lets them down, they decide not to be friends anymore? What did you expect? If your friends never disappointed you, if your friends never ticked you off, you don't have a friend. You just got a buddy. You got a pal that you hang out with on occasion, that everybody still keeps up their guard. Everybody keeps putting the best foot forward. Everybody only lets everybody know a fraction of the real them. But when you decide to be friends and know somebody and love somebody, you're gonna stick in all the way and you're not gonna step back and you're not gonna walk away. Uh, Sometime back, a friend of mine, I mean, just all hell broke loose in their life. I mean, it was turned upside down and it was bad and it was terrible and just lots of people were, were calling me about it and texting me about it. And, you know, they were asking me, well, what did you do? How did you handle it? And I said, well, I'll tell you what I did. I'll tell you how I handled it. As soon as I heard it, as soon as I heard it, I picked up the phone. I didn't want to send a text because I wanted them to hear my voice. I didn't know if they would answer or not. I figured they probably wouldn't because it was also very fresh and it was painful and it was, it was just bad. I picked up the phone, I called my friend, it went to voicemail and I said, this is what I said. I said, I don't know if it's true. I want you to hear me say this. I don't care if it's true. You're my friend, no matter what. And I love you, I respect you, and you're one of the greatest people that I know, no matter what. And whatever you need from me, I'm here. You call me when you need me. You call me when you're ready to talk because I'm your friend and I'm with you through this. And then I hung up the phone. So I, I'm not bragging on how I handled it. So how did you know how to handle it? Because people had done that for me in my life. And when I'd hit bottom, when I'd done something stupid, when life was turned upside down, I'd had some people in my life at certain times who came alongside of me and said, you know what? I know all about what's going on. I know all about what's happened. I know all about it, but I want you to know I love you. I'm for you. I believe in you and I'm not gonna walk away. I'm your friend. I'm gonna defend you. I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna stand with you. I'm gonna stand in front of you. I'm gonna stand behind you. And I've had people do that to me and for me in my life and choose to be my friend when perhaps I didn't deserve to have a friend and they chose to be my friend. Well, what else could I be but a friend to someone who needed a friend? If you've ever had someone come alongside of you in a moment like that, you know how valuable and life-giving that is, how refreshing that is. But here in Appalachia, and I love Appalachia, I'm from here, I'm from Bell County, and that's about as Appalachia as it comes. I love Appalachia and I love the South. Southern hospitality, Southern charm, and all the things. But I'm afraid that in Appalachia and in the South, we have mistaken being friendly as the goal. Now, being friendly is good. It's important. We should be friendly. But being friendly is not the goal. You can be friendly but not have friends. And the goal is just not be content with people being friendly to you. The goal is to have friends. Let's just not settle like some people have settled. Let's don't settle for superficial, shallow connections with people and call them friendships because they don't look anything like David and Jonathan. It doesn't look like the type of friendship that gets in the mud and the dirt when all hell breaks loose, when you've screwed up, when you're depressed, when you're discouraged. Those superficial, shallow relationships that just end in a heart emoji or a thumbs up or a, "Mm," you know, you got this. Sometimes we need more than that. We need a friend. And here I think is the, is kind of the practical point. Be the friend you wanna be friends with. Be a Jonathan. If you're gonna decide what kind of friend to be, be a Jonathan. Be, Be a friend like Jonathan was to David. You protect your friend, you defend your friend, you speak well of them even in the presence of people who have been dogging them and attacking them. You're a friend when they're around and you're a friend when they're not around. You're loyal to them even when it costs you. 
You go to the mat with them and for them, even when it's difficult. And you decide that you're gonna do everything that you can do in order to help them succeed. And you're gonna esteem them as more important than even yourself. So I wanna call all of us, all of us, don't settle for the shallow and the superficial. Just don't, don't, just don't settle for people in your life that you can just swap texts with and swap a funny story with and send a video to, or talk sports with, or talk fishing with, or talk shopping with, or Botox with, or perms with, or manicures with. Have somebody in your life that has an idea when your life is falling apart, when your marriage is falling apart, when you're depressed, when you're thinking about harming yourself, when you don't know what to do with your son or daughter, when your heart broke, when you're lonely. Have some people in your life that's a friend that knows about it and can be there because you'll never be the person God wants you to be. I'll never be the person God wants me to be. I'll never live life to the fullest with superficial, shallow friendships masquerading as authentic friendship. So pursue, build, protect healthy friendships. Your future will thank you. There never would have been a King David without a Jonathan. And somewhere, there's a friend that you need. And one day, when you tell the story of your life, and the story of your life is better, that your faith was stronger. When you tell the story of your life and you ended up further down the road than what you ever thought you would, when you tell the story of your life, I guarantee you that part of that story will be somebody had been a friend to you that helped you get from where you started to where you ended up. And there's somebody out there that you can do that for as well. When you decide to be a friend, you're gonna unlock somebody else's potential. You're gonna help speak to the purpose and the calling that God has placed in and on their life. And you are gonna help them become the greatest version of themselves that God intended them to be because you chose to be a friend. So let's not minimize this. Let's not neglect this. Let's not ignore this. This is valuable. And the value of friendship is connected to our need for it. Heavenly Father, help us receive this. Help us to be the friend that we wanna be friends with. Help us to decide to choose friendship, not just superficial connections, not just acquaintances, but God, help us to pursue, build and protect authentic friendships, knowing that we need them, knowing that they're gonna help us become who God wants us to be. So Father, let us hear this and receive it. And may we be a people who know how to be friends and know how to have friendships that truly matter. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.